Oh, Father, we do. We come before you as a a group of people, a fellowship of believers. Um, As you are calling us, as we are beginning to see people meeting house to house, oh God, we thank you. We thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for the the songs that were even picked in worship, Father, that they didn't even know uh, the sermon that I'd be giving. And yet they, they dovetail so well. Holy Spirit, we do ask that you guide us in this. I ask for an anointing upon me uh, to, to give and an anointing upon the people to receive, O oh Lord. We also ask for anointing over in the children's ministry, Father, that they would just be... Uh, Lord, we thank you that there's no baby Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We thank you that you can speak to each of those kids wherever they're at, the same way that you could speak to us adults wherever we're at. We gave glory to your name, in Jesus' name. Today's message is called Waiting for Pentecost. So that last song and the other ones too were definitely uh, thinking about those as we were singing of the message that I feel like the Holy Spirit put on my heart today. We've been spending a significant amount of time in uh, Leviticus 23 uh, learning about God's feasts and not just what they meant for the children of Israel, but what they mean for us through the fulfilling of them in Jesus Christ. These are more than simply a historical message. I'm praying that as we are going through scriptures and they're opened up to us and we'll see in God's ways, we're going to learn how to walk these things in our walks experientially, not just knowing them legally, but actually experience these same things, these same feasts that Jesus fulfilled. Each of these feasts are also representative, like I said, in our walks. They are memorials. They were instruction. They were a picture of Jesus. They were fulfilled in Jesus, and we are supposed to walk them as well. Have you ever sat and wondered about the kingdom of God, like when we talk about the kingdom of God? So, so often, in my own mind, it almost boggles me because then you start to think, you know, just heaven and hell. That's it. And there's not a lot of, like, we just have this vast idea of maybe what heaven looks like and just such minuscule ideas, though, really, in comparison to the unknowable things that aren't for us in Scripture. We're going to know those things later. Maybe we only equate those to a heavenly realm, the kingdom of God. Maybe we think of it mainly in terms of just a future thing. But do we really understand and walk in the fact that the kingdom of heaven is with us? That we are citizens of a very real kingdom. That a very real king is on the throne. And that there are very real battles, spiritual battles. And yet, there is yet a further glory to enter into when Jesus returns. The Bible is clear when we are born again, we become new creatures in Christ. We are now born into a heavenly kingdom where we are supposed to get off of the throne of ourself and take our place on the cross. We exchange what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross for the punishment of our sins. We exchange that. And now he's supposed to sit on the throne. And we are supposed to take up our cross and die daily, crucify it. Crucify it to our flesh. We can't do what he did on the cross, but the sanctifying power of the blood that he shed for us makes it so that we're supposed to say, this throne is yours. You're the king. I'll do it. I am, I am your servant. I am your uh, citizen. I'm a citizen of this kingdom. 
Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, that's his death, his burial, and resurrection, made the way for us to do this, to be freed from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin, that's the Passover experience. We pass from death to life. We are freed from the punishment that we ought to be receiving. The Lamb's blood has been applied, and when we stand before God, that's what he sees. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. The next feast we are learning about is Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. So um, we're going to be very heavy in scripture today. Uh, Some of it I'll have you turn to if you you have your Bibles. Others, we're just going to go so quickly that you won't be able to have time. So in Leviticus, where we've been taking off uh, chapter 23, starting in verse 15. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of epaph. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. Remember, Passover, there could be no leaven. Now they're saying put leaven in this and present two loaves to the Lord after um, after you've counted the 50 days, seven weeks. here and you shall offer them with bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish one young bull and two rams they shall be as a burnt offering to the lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings and an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the lord then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats of a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of peace offering the priest shall wave them the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the lord with two lambs they shall be holy to the lord for the priest And you shall proclaim on the same day that is holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all of your dwellings throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. When you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Now remember that last verse there, that's the the basis of Ruth where Ruth went and, and was able to glean from the fields. That was because it's a biblical command of what they were doing there. Um, so from this point, they would have been counting the weeks before the grain was ripened, and, and they are doing that right now. That's what is happening uh, for Jews across the world. They're counting. They're waiting. And what were they waiting for? They were waiting for the grain to ripen, and it was an anticipation of God's provision and goodness. It was a waiting period. In Deuteronomy um, 16, 9 through 11, it's, it's confirmed there again. It's restated. You shall count seven weeks for yourself. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, and you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall remember that you are a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. So again, this was a memorial, and, but yet it was pointing forward. As Israel um, gave a sermon several months ago about actively waiting, he introduced us to the Hebrew word kavah, which meant not just to wait, but it means to wait without passivity. You're doing something in the wait. It's an intentional waiting. This feast was to celebrate God's goodness of provision for them 
It is also believed and, and, and has always been celebrated as when God gave the children of Israel the law at Sinai. There were three pilgrimage feasts. There were the Passover, the first fruits, and the Feast of Weeks, which is the Shavuot, that they would travel uh, to Jerusalem for. For time's sake, I won't read through the whole story in Exodus since it's a pretty well-known one, um, but maybe some homework for the season is read through Exodus. Start learning about the tabernacle. At least familiarize yourself with some of these words as I'm going to start um, getting into some tabernacle stuff. Um, in the coming weeks. But let me just summarize and pull out a few verses I wanted to highlight in Exodus, um, starting in chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. That third month in the Hebrew calendar is Sivan. Sivan is when we uh, celebrate Pentecost. That is, in that month, the, the Pentecost. For they had departed from Rephidim and come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall tell, say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, here's the if-then statement, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So in verse 6, it's saying that God is speaking his intention to the people. He is letting them know, I'm making a covenant with you. You are going to be my chosen set-apart people. Skip down to verses 10 and 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. And let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon the Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. This was an instruction. Before the Lord would come down, he gave Moses instruction to them. The people must consecrate themselves. They must be set apart. They have to wash their clothes. They had to do these things to get themselves ready for the Lord's coming. For the Lord coming to meet them. They were actively waiting though. What were they doing in the wait? They were sanctifying themselves in the wait. Side note, next week I'm going to show you something pretty exciting about these verses. Um, I, I started writing and th that was a sermon on its own. So we'll have to actively wait for next week. We'll have to kuva for next week. <laughs> um, so he, here... Uh, continuing on, we know that there, he's, he's giving them instructions of coming to the mountain base. But he's so holy, don't, don't try to come up, set some boundaries and stuff. And you're going to hear these trumpet sounds. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said, be ready for the third day, do not uh, come near your wives. And then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of Sinai, of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke. Just imagine, there's millions of people standing at this base of this mountain, and they're hearing thunderings and, and loud. I mean, I just couldn't imagine what that must have looked like. And this thick cloud comes and descends upon the mountain, um, and they were tr trembling. I, I would be trembling, I'm sure, too. Um, and there's smoke and fire, and... Uh, it says that smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. 
just imagine the awe of, of that picture. So, uh, in 18, now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. So he had, to, he had to veil himself in smoke because his full glory would have just probably killed them all. I mean, he made that very clear in the previous scriptures. And so as he's standing, as all the people are there, there's a, a cloud all around. And God himself is there on the mountain coming to speak to the people. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon the Mount Sinai on top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So the Lord comes down on the third day and speaks to the people who are trembling, and it goes on to to, uh, speak. You can read that for yourselves, the rest of that chapter, and then in verse 20, it's all the Ten Commandments. The whole congregation heard these things. And you have to remember, there was probably different languages there. So they all heard them in their own language. They understood it. They heard. Um, in verse, I mean, chapter 20 now, verse 18. <clears throat> now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us. We will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Don't, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. You know, you guys have heard me speak before about knowing God's ways versus knowing his deeds. The children of Israel, that's where they wanted to settle. Their fear of this great God, they, they couldn't handle it. So they stood afar off, it said. And they said, Moses, you go. You go talk to God for us, and then we'll we'll hear from God. The Feast of Weeks is a celebration of the law of God. That's what they are celebrating. That's what they're waiting for. They're counting down the Omer. They have little calendars. And every day, they say a blessing, and they count down day after day because they're actively waiting. They're actively waiting, as the law of God told them to. This was his covenant, the marriage between God and Israel. It commemorated as a countdown. It's an intentional daily countdown for seven weeks to intentionally wait. And it's still celebrated. So now let's move to the New Testament. Um, Jesus, as we have been studying, was crucified, buried, raised from the dead, fulfilling the feast we've been discussing. And now when he was resurrected, he walked the earth for 40 days. He was in some kind of new body because he could just appear. And, uh, and yet he could eat. He could be touched. People didn't recognize him right away in some instances. Like they, he was talking with them and their eyes weren't opened and all of a sudden their eyes were opened or they heard his voice and they're like, oh, it's you, Jesus. I always wonder what in the world, did he look different or they just couldn't perceive? I guess we'll find out. Um, but he ate, he, witnessed, he was witnessed by over 500 people in one day and several others um, on occasion. The dead also came out of their graves and people were witnessing them. That's in Matthew uh, 27, 52, and 53. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. What a, we just read these things, and that just, could you imagine, though, like people coming out of the graves and people witnessing them, just like Jesus had walked out of the grave, and 
So last week we briefly touched on the interaction between the risen Christ and his disciple. Um, I want to turn again to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, Chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. I read this last week. Now, Thomas called the twin of one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst. So he didn't have to open the door. He just appeared in front of them. And yet he had a physical body. Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger in here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now I know I was giving this verse yesterday or last week in comparison to when Mary Magdalene, um, at the, when she had seen the risen Lord, she was the first one. And he told her, don't touch me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. And yet then we later on see that he's saying, touch me, handle me. And... Um, I, I was pointing out, uh, not in the sermon, but later, that it, it makes it clear that this was eight days after the disciples. So what was he doing? He was ascending to the Father. He was fulfilling the Feast of Unleavened Bread because, remember, they, there was a, a, a time period. You have, you have Passover and then seven days of not eating unleavened bread. So whatever his business was with the Father, he was taking care of that. Um, we know that he was touched um, because if you cross-reference it, cross-reference this with 1 John um, 1, 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declared to you that the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. He's declaring that Jesus, we seen, we touched, we handled, we spoke to, we ate with the risen Christ. We are first-hand uh, witnesses to these things. How amazing is that? <laughs> um, in the Gospels uh, in Luke, and I, I know I'm going fast, but, and I know that this is a lot of scripture, but I really want you guys to see, I'm not making these things up, and I'm not just making doctrinal stances. I'm just using the word of God to declare to you what is in here. Uh, Luke 24, 36 through uh, 53. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands, my feet, that is I myself. Handle me. See, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you all while I was still with you, that the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Remember we had said that all these fulfillment, he had been speaking of the fulfillment, and the fulfillment of what? The prophets, the scriptures, he, all the things that he had told, said about himself, he was now explaining to them. Thus it is written, and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. This was in the, the law of 
of God somewhere. We can see it in, in types and shadows, but whatever he was explaining to them, he opened up their understanding to see it in the scriptures, in the, in the law of God and the um, prophets. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry, wait, kavah, in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Um, he was telling them, wait, actively wait in the city. He didn't say how long. He didn't say, uh, he just told them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here. Tarry. Uh, if you go back and we know the story of the golden calf and when Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments and the law of God and everything, uh, what did they do? It said, because Moses tarried, the people of God, well, I mean, what did they do? They ended up having a drunken fest, making a, a golden calf, and, and doing all sorts of things. Um, they were waiting, but they felt like they had to wait too long. They were wondering what in the world. They were, even the Aaron and everything was like, what are we going to do? The people are going to start to get upset. So again, in Mark's gospel, um, just really want to confirm all of this. In 16, 14 through 18. Later he appeared to the eleven, and they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover." Now let's zero in on a few details in starting in uh, Acts chapter 1. The former account, I, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up and after he, was, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. To me, he had also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So he'd been, we, that's our, we understand 40 days. Jesus rose from the dead, and he is still going around for 40 days preaching during the time of when, the Feast of Weeks. There's like accounting. Numbers are very important to God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or season which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. Remember how we talked about that the, there was the penalty? that Passover took care of. Now we're talking about something different. We're talking about power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So they were in Jerusalem because of Passover feast. And since Shavuot Pentecost was also a pilgrimage feast, um, they could have gone home. But instead, Jesus is telling them, wait, wait, stay here. 
He showed himself, gave many miraculous wonders, and before he left, that was the last thing he said to them, is wait. Pentecost now, when he ascended, is 10 days away. They were gathered in an upper room, 120 of them, men and women, praying. (coughs) On the very day of Pentecost, the day in which they were celebrating the giving of the law of Mount Sinai, coming down of the Lord in great sounds and thunderings to make a covenant with his people, to establish a church in the wilderness. That's what he was establishing. Whenever he was on Mount Sinai, he was establishing his church in the wilderness. We know that because in Acts 7.38, we are told... This is he who was, or let me just back up. This is that Moses who said to your children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness. Some translations say church or assembly in the wilderness. With the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us. We see once again that the disciples are waiting in Acts. Jesus was walking for 40 days. He left. And now they're actively waiting. They're there celebrating the feast anyway. But they don't have a timeline. They don't know. So um, starting in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthenians, Amedes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Um, Then you know the story. They start getting accused of being drunk. And then Peter gives his famous uh, sermon that basically was the start of the church. Um, Here we see the fulfillment of the Feast of Weeks on the very day. On the very day that the people of God understood and were commemorating the, that God had come down and spoke to the people, they've waited, they've counted down. And here, the, the Lord, as the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit comes down and baptizes them in something new. So I want to... Oh, let me go to 39. And I just want to, this goes on. He gives a sermon, and in verse 39, Peter says, For the promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. That means us. That means us. We are the ones called afar off. 
So let me just do a little comparison of uh, Mount Sinai. They were getting ready. They were told to get ready. God's coming. And to wait. In the upper room, same thing. Jesus says, you're going to be baptized not many days from now. Terry, wait. So they're waiting for something. They don't know what experience they're going to have, but they're waiting for it. In Mount Sinai, we see that when they made the golden calf and everything, because they couldn't tarry any longer, they failed. And what did they do? They went back to what they knew. When we don't wait upon the Lord, what do we end up doing? Maybe we become discouraged. Maybe we become uh, complacent, apathetic. We're not feeling that the overwhelming presence of God in our lives. And so what do we do? We go back to what we knew. We go back to the old. In the upper room, they stayed, but they received the promise because they did tarry and they did wait. In Mount Sinai, they themselves didn't want to hear from God. But in the upper room, they were fervent in prayer, waiting for God. If we would read further in Exodus, we would see that after they made the golden calf and everything, and Moses is all angry, and uh, they go out and they slay 3,000 people. And what do we see in Peter's sermon? that 3,000 were saved. In Mount Sinai, the law of God was given that was foreshadowing, fulfilling as memorials, showing them how to approach a holy God. And here in the upper room, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened. In Mount Sinai, that was the start of the church of the wilderness. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit was the start of the New Testament church. Are you guys amazed? Does your heart not want to burst forth with the faithfulness of our God? That here once again, he sends the Spirit to baptize them in the Spirit and the work of the cross that was finished. They were saved already. These people, Jesus was with them. He had already died. He had already been resurrected. His blood was already shed. He had already, it was done. It was finished. This isn't about salvation. This is something separate. This was a baptism of the Holy Spirit separate from salvation. Now, do we have to have the Spirit even open our eyes to be able to receive faith, to be able to be saved? Of course. But this is something different. The work of the cross was finished, and yet there was a promise of something more. That's what Jesus said. Because if we actually know from in John, and I don't want to misquote it, but he basically came into a meeting with them, and he said to them, he breathed on them. You ever catch that? He breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. But yet there was something more. So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? This is separate from salvation. And like I said, we know that we can only be saved by the Spirit. But the Bible is clear that there's something more going on here. This is a baptism, a separate event from salvation. We know that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. It's the Comforter who will teach us in all things. He will convict us of sin and righteousness. And remember whenever Jesus, whenever John the baptizer was baptizing and he said, I baptize with water, but one is coming greater who will baptize you in uh, spirit and fire. Who's doing the baptizing? Jesus. It's always marked with some sort of, in the word of God that we have proof of, it's marked with some sort of tangible, powerful thing. A lot of people, there, there are some denominations that say that if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then you have to have the evidence of speaking in tongues. I don't say that. Because, although I do believe in speaking in tongues, and I do believe that many receive that, that's not the only way that we see it. 
Um, He said that you'll receive power. The fact that it came in like a wind and makes me think of the characteristic of a wind. You can't see that wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. Maybe it was a, a refreshing breeze, and you can see that, that when the Holy Spirit comes, and we can feel that tangible presence of the Holy Spirit, and it's just that refreshing that we needed, or that peace that, you're just, that pers- uh, surpasses all understanding. Sometimes it's a mighty rushing wind, like it was described in the book of Acts. Sometimes so powerful that you can't stand under it. I've had those experiences, and I know many in this room have too. But I want to look at the biblical evidence. And I'm going to go through a list of verses. Um, if you want the, the list of them afterwards, go ahead. But I want to, for time's sake, I've uh, printed them out instead of having to turn in my Bible. So like I said, most common, as we see in the book of Acts, it was evidenced by speaking in tongues. They would lay hands and people would start speaking in tongues. And so they saw something powerful happen, though. But it wasn't always in speaking in tongues. In Acts 8, um, 15 through 17 and 9, 17 through 19, it says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, so they've received the word of God, and they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For, yet, for as yet he had, fallen, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Are these people saved? They've heard the word. They've received the word. They're baptized in, in Lord Jesus in water. But they had not yet received this other baptism, this fire or uh, Holy Spirit baptism. So they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Uh, Acts 9.17, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me, that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, something powerful happening, something physical, something tangible that you actually see happening there. Um, And he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And we already talked about that. That was, uh, he, he got water baptized at that point. So he received the Spirit before he was baptized, but he had already had salvation because Jesus himself came and spoke to him. And they had their own thing. And for three days, the Holy Spirit was speaking to him these things. And yet here he's being baptized in the Holy Spirit and scales fall off his eyes. Um, and when Simon uh, saw that through the laying on, this is the sorcerer Simon, he saw that the laying on of hands, on the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he was offering money for it. Why? What was he seeing? If somebody just came over and laid hands on you and there was nothing to be seen, why would he want to pay money for this gift, for this power? But he was seeing something happen, whether it was they were speaking in tongues or uh, prophesying or, or something was happening. Um, and that's when he said, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands on can receive this Holy Spirit. And, of course, we know how that went. Um, prophecy uh, in Luke 1:41, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does she end up doing? She burst out in a spiritual prophetic song. So something tangible, something powerful. It was of the Spirit. Acts 19:6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. In Acts 4.31, uh, when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So it gave them a power of boldness to speak. Something, it, there was a shaking going on. 
In Ephesians uh, 5.17, it says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand that the will of God, what the will of God is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in, the heart, in your heart to the Lord. What are these spiritual songs? Like what Mary did, what Deborah did, what they burst forth. It's a song of the Spirit coming out. Um, giving thanks always for the things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one to another in the fear of God. Acts 6.3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Holy Spirit and wisdom being put together. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. Wisdom that we can't have and we can't attain on our own. We can read and read and read and read and have all the knowledge. But it's the Holy Spirit who enlightens us and opens our eyes and unveils things for us. Um, and they, we're going to appoint them over the business, but we'll give ourselves continually to pray, prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nanconor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Uh, Acts 6, 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. We just knew that he was filled with the Holy Spirit here. He's doing great signs and wonders among the people. In Acts 5, 5 through 17, so that they brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least, at the, least the shadow of Peter passing might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. They were all healed. What does the power of the Holy Spirit do? Well, we're witnessing. It's, it gives the ability to speak in tongues, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. It's the power of God. Um, in Acts 13, 52, And the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us joy. We have a friend right now who is suffering in such a, a way. Her husband was shot. Uh, he's, <laughs> he was given a 1% chance to live. And he's been in the hospital, and I talk to her on the phone every few days, and she is filled with joy, giving glory to God over and over. The doctors are telling her, don't get too optimistic. She goes, no, my husband's going to walk out of there. You don't understand. And he's going to use you all. He's going to give you guys wisdom. She's like speaking to these people, and she's telling them the gospel as she's speaking to them. And I'm just amazed with the joy that she has. She's laughing. She's it's not normal. That's not a normal thing, right? Um, and sometimes it came after water baptism, and sometimes it came before. In Acts 10, 44 through 48, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out only, uh, or on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. It is clear in Scripture. We can see it, right? We, we see the power of the Holy Spirit as something separate. It was something that um, empowered them. The baptism of the Spirit is the fulfillment of the Feast of Weeks. It is the power over sin. In the Passover feast, we talked about the, uh, that it broke the penalty. 
That's what the whole Passover feasts were about, breaking that penalty of sin that we, need, we were supposed to bear. But now we're given the spirit to overcome the power of sin in our lives, the sanctifying power of God in our lives and over sin, and to do the work by the spirit. We all know the spiritual gifts that the Bible speaks of and how he distributes to each accordingly. We've read about these before. It says that different gifts but the same spirit. And it's Jesus who baptizes us. For many years I have felt led by the Lord to pray as the Spirit has put on my heart for people to have a personal Pentecost. We know that by the word that in the end times there's going to be a few things that are happening simultaneously. One is a great falling away from the truth and apostasy. The other is that a Spirit is being poured out on his sons and daughters. How much more, as the closer we approach, will we need the Spirit poured out upon us to endure the great apostasy, the great falling away, that it says that even that he had to cut the time short that even the elect would be deceived? Think about that. Aren't we already witnessing these times becoming more and more confusing and more and more difficult to stand? And there's less and less people that are not compromising we need the Holy Spirit afresh, anew, poured out. We need personal Pentecost in our lives. We are given the Spirit to endure, to glorify, and to walk in power and might in these times. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Maybe you've assumed that because we are saved by the Spirit and it's the Spirit of God who has to open our eyes to have faith to accept Jesus, that it's all just clumped together in one, a one-time thing. And that can happen. There are plenty of people I know, plenty of witnesses, where uh, testimonies where they received the Holy Spirit immediately, whether it was when they first got saved or through water baptism. But in the spirit of chal- challenging denominational stances, as you guys have come to find, I'd like to do... <clears throat> um, I just want to open the word of God to you to look at what is evidenced in scripture. I've heard some say, well, those were just for the early church. But let's look at what scripture says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. It says, therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering and bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each of you, to each one of us, a grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, was what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Let's make sure we don't stop there. Until we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to be a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Has the church attained this? Absolutely not. God said how long? Until. Until we all come into the unity of faith and of the knowledge. This will continue on. 
These things still exist. He's given these things until this time, until he returns, and then he's not going to need those things anymore in, in that capacity because he himself will be ruling and reigning. But for now, in our church age, these things is what he's doing for a set amount of time. I pray that the way in which I am laying out these messages, you are getting a clearer image that God has been intentional in all that he has planned. That there is no happenstance in all the things he has written in the law for us to see the revelation of Jesus Christ. These all point to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he being the first fruit and the first son makes a way for us to also walk in each of these feasts. We walk through Passover. We walk through Pentecost. For me, I know this is truth because I've walked in it. I have the scripture to, to tell me my legal opportunities, my inheritances, if I so take them. But I have my experience of my own walk. I doubted in my early 20s that I had actually received the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I kind of stopped practicing it, stopped speaking in tongues, praying that way. Why? Because it sounded weird. It sounded like I doubted it. Was this really true? And then I got married to a man who um, his experience of learning anything about tongues was at a commune, a Christian commune, where he saw the absolute abuse of it. I was so young when I received the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I had to rely on my father, who told us that it was during a time of worship. And all of a sudden, three of us four kids were baptized in the Holy Spirit and started speaking in tongues. I don't have any recollection of this, but I know that I've always just spoken in tongues in my prayer times. I know I've seen the power of God in my life. I know that he has used me for prophecy. I know that he has given me dreams. I know that he has had me lay hands on the sick and they have been healed. That's nothing to do with me. It's the power of God. I've watched my husband who uh, wanted to understand these things and we were conflicted on these things. He wanted me to prove it and all I could say is because my dad said so or because the Bible says so. But I had no idea how to back it up so it forced me to understand my legal understanding of it. I had the experience of it. I just knew. That's just what I've lived my whole life. But I didn't understand my legal understanding of it. And so it forced me to do something. He didn't understand it. And one day we're praying, just laying out on the floor, and uh, just praying quietly, waiting on the Lord. And all of a sudden, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So much so that it comes bursting forth out of his mouth and scares him, and he claps his hand over his face because he's afraid of what happened to him. I didn't have an experience like that. Some people don't have those kinds of experiences. There's just much more gentle, much more whatever. He had a rushing wind type of experience. I know that for my daughter, Anna B., who's my little logical child, who um, Ben used to speak when he was a very little kid, like a four- or five-year-old, and he would say that he knows how to talk in scribbles. And <laughs> I was like, okay. Well, one day there was a time where I was afraid he had been having pains in his legs for the last few years and at first I thought they were growing pains but I was praying over him but I didn't want him to hear me because I didn't want him to know that I didn't want him to be afraid that I was being afraid of his legs so I was just I had my I was just praying for him I had my hands on him and praying just quietly in the spirit because I didn't know how to pray anymore it says that when we don't know how to pray pray in the spirit we don't know the Spirit gives us utterances. He tells us what to pray, because sometimes we think we're praying the right thing, 
But we don't know because we're not praying the will of God. We could be praying opposite of the will of God. The Holy Spirit shows us what to pray for. He might just give you a word. He might give you a phrase. He might give you a whole prophetic thing to say. But as I was praying quietly just underneath my breath, he looked at me and he goes, I understand what you're saying. And I'm like, what? He's like, you're praying for my little legs. And I'm like, okay. So when I told Anna B that, she's like, he doesn't know tongues. He doesn't speak in tongues. And she was <laughs> like, you know, weighing it all out. He's just being a silly little boy or whatever. So she kept saying she wanted the gift. She wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. She wanted to speak in tongues. And we'd have our conversations here and there. And I, there's no formula. I don't understand. I mean, we see that there's no formula, right, in the Word of God. But she said that she came in one day when she was about six years old. And she was trembling. She looked pale. She was literally shaking. And I'm like, what happened? What's going on? She's Jesus just talked to me, Mom. And she was crying. She couldn't keep it contained because she was out on the swing and having a conversation with the Lord. And he said to her, you don't have because you don't receive. And something happened in her heart where she realized she's been asking for this thing but not receiving it. She keeps asking for it, asking for it, but she, whether it was her own mind, whether it was something in her, whether it was pride, whatever it was, was keeping her from actually receiving. Do you know that for a gift to be a gift, you have to actually have to, it has to be freely given and freely received? I could stand here all day long with a $100 bill, but if you don't accept it, you're, you're not going to have the gift. And that's pretty much what, how the Holy Spirit spoke it to her. And she said that she felt it in her feet, rising up something she didn't know how to describe, and it came and burst forth out of her mouth. She started speaking in tongues. I can't manufacture these things. These are experiential uh, things that are happening in people's lives. But we have the word of God to understand our legal standing. We have an inheritance. He wants to give us these things. He wants to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in these coming days. We must. So maybe this message is simply a confirmation of what you already know. You've already experienced it. You're walking. You've, you've had some sort of Holy Spirit uh, baptism and experienced it, whether you've seen it in evidence with speaking in tongues or uh, just your life was changed overnight and you, um, some other experience, whether it was prophecy, he started giving you dreams, he started speaking to you in the Spirit. Something. Healings. I don't know. And maybe you walk in that power. To you, I say use it. Don't take it for granted. Be faithful and small and press into him and hear from him. Glorify him in the gifts that he has given to you. Like I said, I had the experience of having to rediscover. Why? Because I, I, at some point in my life, the enemy of God let me think that that wasn't a real thing. Why would he do that? <laughs> because he knows the power of God in it. Of course he's going to attack it. Of course, he's going to make it sound like, oh, you're a lunatic for believing that. Our, our natural mind cannot understand spiritual things. We can't understand that. When you hear somebody maybe speaking in tongues or lifting their hands or dancing or showing some sort of thing, and we get uncomfortable. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I have prayed about this kind of message for a really long time because I have no idea where you guys all stand. I don't. I know some of you. I know the experiences you've had. I don't want to offend anybody. 
I don't want to mess with people's beliefs so much so that it causes a stumbling block. But I also want to speak the truth. Not just the truth from the Word of God, but the experiential truth of not just my life, but so many people throughout the course of my life as I have watched them change after being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Maybe you used to walk in this, but something is causing doubt, or just life, and your oil lamp isn't filled anymore. The oil speaks about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you feel dry. Ask for a fresh anointing. Or maybe you're sitting here now and you've heard uh, and seen others that walk in this, and you, you don't know, and you, you're wondering about it, but you yourself haven't experienced it. Or maybe you aren't sure if you have. Again, ask. The Bible tells us that he gives good gifts. That we just need to ask. Maybe we have to tarry a little bit longer. Maybe we're supposed to be actively waiting for the Spirit to come upon us. What will we do? Will we go back to the gods, the idols? Or will we continue to tarry and wait for the promise of this Holy Spirit? Or like I said, maybe you're really uncomfortable right now. Maybe you have a lot of opinions right now and uh, a lot of things going on in your mind of, well, what about this verse or what about that? That's fine too. Good. Question it. Get into the word, research it, and ask. He will reveal himself. Ask for the spirit of truth to be poured out on your life. Ask. If there's a baptism and I don't understand it and I can't receive it because my natural mind, like how Anna B. was saying, just say, I want to receive it. I want this baptism. If there's something more in my walk, remember I talked about the vastness of the kingdom of God and we have this, this little narrowed view of heaven. It's just this big, fluffy, cloudy place or whatever it might be in our minds. Um, and yet we, we don't understand it all. It's the same thing with our walk. A lot of times we just say, oh, I'm a Christian, that's it. No, there is, our walk goes deeper. There is more in the Lord for us. It says so. So in this intentional season of waiting, we are in the wait. We are in the feast of weeks right now. We are waiting as the, the, the people of God, the Jews, are waiting to celebrate the coming down of the law. We get to wait also, anticipating Ask for a personal Pentecost. We can ask and we can anticipate in our lives a fresh outpouring for the baptism of the Spirit by Jesus. We can understand our legal position and we can say it all day long. We can read all these things and they don't, we don't really get them because they're not true to us these healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons. You guys, those are things people don't want to talk about from the pulpit because they scare people. Have I cast out demons? I have. Have I watched people that they had pronounced death over live? Yes, I have. My dad, I laid hands on him when I was four years old and he was on his way to the hospital and he was healed. Not because of anything of me. That's the Holy Spirit. Jesus fulfilled each of these feasts, opening the door to come in fellowship with the Father. 
He has made a way for us in Passover experience to be saved from the penalty. Praise God. There's nothing that's going to take that away from us. We are under the blood of Lamb. And even if you don't go any further, even if you never ask for a baptism of the Holy Spirit because it scares you or something else, you're still saved. That's nothing's going to happen to that. But if you want, he says, come further. Come. Come and see. Let me use you. Let me pour out my spirit upon you. He has made a way for us in the Pentecost to experience him, and he gives us the power over sin. This is what makes overcomers. We have no power in ourselves, and I'm telling you right now, we need the power of God in this day. He gives us the power to overcome, and as he said to the people on Mount Sinai, be sanctified, be ready, be ready, for on the third day I'm coming. Sanctify yourselves, though. Be set apart for his holy purposes in these appointed times. Amen? Um,